Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fruit Snacks. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion this week on God's omni-attributes, and today I'm going to be focusing on the omnipresence of God. Literally, omnipresence just means all-present, and it is the idea that God's presence is everywhere at all times. And this can be tied loosely into his omniscience because if he is in all places, then he would be aware of what is occurring in those places. And so this doctrine means that there is not a corner or square inch of all of the created universe or all of creation, unseen realm or otherwise, where God is not present, where his presence isn't isn't there. There's no part of his creation that he has kept himself from or, or is unaware of what is happening there is basically the idea. Now, we see this doctrine illustrated in passages like Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. And I'll just go ahead and read it to you now. It says, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And so it's passages like this that that is where we get this idea that God's presence is everywhere and that there is nowhere that we can go where God isn't. And David, in some of his Psalms, he reflects on this idea of where can I hide myself from you, Lord? And once again, it's reinforcing that the idea that there is nowhere. And as Christians, that should be a comfort to us because that means that there is nowhere and no time and no place where we are away or hidden from the presence of God, where God is not immediately aware of us, of our circumstances, of the situation that we are in. And so it should be a great comfort to us. Now, I bring this doctrine up not only because it's, worthwhile to to talk about, but also because unlike some of the other ones, the doctrine itself and understanding what it means at face value isn't really problematic. What is problematic is when this doctrine starts to get contrasted and compared with other doctrines about the character and person of God. And so this is where some confusion can come in because we can, and, and some indeed have, inaccurately contrasted this attribute of God's omnipresence against God's holiness, which is not necessarily a comparison that you would expect. But let me, let me read you the first part of Habakkuk 1.13, which says that God cannot look at wrong, that his eyes are too pure to see evil. Now, this has led some uh, theologians and uh, lay Christians in the past to conclude that God cannot be in the presence of sin. Now, if we 
go back to our definition of omnipresence, that starts to become problematic. You can see where attention would arise there to say, if that's true, if if God's holiness requires that he not be in the presence of sin, then how in the world can we say that he's everywhere all the time? Because that just simply would not be the case. And so just like anything with uh, an apparent dilemma or contradiction, you, you basically have three options. This would mean that either our understanding of the doctrine of omnipresence is somehow flawed or incomplete, or our doctrine of God's holiness is somehow flawed or incomplete, or there is a way of harmonizing these two, which we just haven't considered. And I'm going to suggest to you that it's actually option two, that as this argument is construed, it simply misrepresents and frankly paints a very unbiblical view of the holiness of God. And I'll tell you what I mean. If you read Habakkuk 1.13 in its full context, heck, if you even just finish the verse, <laughs> Habakkuk says, God, your eyes are too pure to see evil and you can't look at wrongdoing. And then immediately he says, so why do you always look at these these traitors and these people who are, who are doing wrong? If God can't look at wrongdoing, then Habakkuk turns around and says, so God, why do you do it? And what this passage is expressing is a tension in, in Habakkuk's own mind of saying, surely God isn't okay with all the evil that we see in the world today. Surely there has to be a reason that he's not doing something about it. And maybe, maybe it's because he just can't look at it. Maybe it's because it's just, it's just too, it's too much sin. It's too much overwhelming. And his eyes are just too pure to look at sin. So if he doesn't, if he's not really aware of it, Maybe that's why he's not doing anything about it. Because otherwise, how could he How could he just see it and not do something? And so the plea from Habakkuk in this passage is, is basically not having anything to do with this doctrine of God's holiness. It's more of, of a, a very practical plea to say, God, surely you are aware of all the evil in this world. Please, please do something about it. And I think that's a, that's a plea we can all get on board with, right? And so... The problem with with conflating God's holiness as a way of, of him not being able to be in the presence of sin is that when you examine the Bible and you read both Old and New Testament, what you find is that God is in the presence of evil just about constantly, just about all the time. I'll give you just a handful of examples to, to make my point here. Right after Adam and Eve sin and fall in the garden, who is the very first person they interact with and have a conversation with? It's God. What about after Cain murders his brother Abel? Who's the first person he talks to? It's God. What about when Moses is receiving the law and having a conversation with God up on Mount Sinai and at the foot of the mountain, the Israelites are constructing a golden calf and engaging in idolatry and all sorts of debauchery. At the foot of the mountain God is on as if he's not aware. Right. And he, he continues to, to be there with Moses. And then fast forwarding to the new Testament. What about Jesus? We do remember that Jesus was called the friend of sinners, right? That he ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and people that were considered pretty much untouchable in the culture. And scripture also tells us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. 
So this whole idea that we have to get clean to come into God's presence gets the gospel precisely backwards. The gospel is that we can't get clean. And God in his grace made a way for us to get clean. He condescended and came to us because we could not get to him, even if we wanted to. It's almost like we look at sin like it's garlic and God is some sort of vampire where he just can't be in the presence of sin. He sees it and he goes running and hissing in the other direction. It's his kryptonite. But again, that's not the picture the Bible paints. We should think about it this way. Sin is cancer and God is the great physician. Not only is he willing to get in there and to do the, the, the dirty work of cleaning up that cancer, that sin, but he's the only one capable of doing it. And so we can bring our sin to God and we can confess it. We can lay it at his feet and we can know that he has taken care of it through Jesus. And he's the only one who could do so because of grace and because of the love that he has for you and for me.